Our scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Listen now for God's word to you. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of, the, of Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this is about, himself or somebody else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went away rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azutas, and as he was passing through that region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Excuse me one second while I grab my, my water. These cotton mouth long readings, right? So this morning, we pick up a little ways down the road from where we were uh, last week. Last week, remember, was Pentecost, the birthday of the church. We all dressed up in red, and that was fun. And uh, we heard the dramatic story of how the, the church was born, that the 120 or so followers of Jesus that were left after Jesus goes back to God are gathered together in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem, and they are praying and waiting for the spirit that was promised to them, promised to them by Jesus. And as they're praying, a violent wind rushes through the streets of Jerusalem, a fire from heaven, like, like tongues of fire, falls on their heads, and they begin speaking in languages that they had never known before. And all of the Jews from the diaspora hear them speaking in the native language of each. It's an amazing birth story. And then after that, Peter, the disciple who has often gotten things really wrong, the disciple who really loves the taste of his own foot, uh, gets up in this moment of boldness and begins to preach a sermon to all the people who are gathered there. And in that sermon, he, pre he quotes from the prophet Joel. And that prophet Joel says that in, in those days that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all, on all people, on, on the younger generation, they're going to dream dreams and cast visions. It's going to be poured out on those who are marginalized and so easily forgotten, and they too are going to speak about the things of God. Even the older generation, he says, they're going to be dreaming new dreams and casting new visions. 
And that's just the beginning of Peter's sermon. He kept going beyond what we read last week. And, and in the rest of that sermon, he admonishes the people there to commit themselves to the way of Jesus, to repent, he says. Repent is simply to go in a new direction. Go in a new direction in your lives. Follow after Jesus. And, and what Peter said must have been really convincing uh, because what Luke says is that 3,000 people were baptized after hearing that sermon. Uh, that's kind of the dream of all preachers, right? 3,000 people were baptized. So on the first day of the church, we go from 120 to 3,000. That's 2,400% growth in one day. Um, I'm not great at math. I hope that number is right. Um, and it's easy for us to get excited about the numbers, to, to think about the church growing in that exponential way. But the, the point is this. The Spirit of God has been poured out on the church. That the same Spirit that was present in Jesus throughout his entire life, that, that animated and inspired his ministry of love and justice for all people, that Spirit has now been poured out on all people. And it lives and exists within the church, and it calls the church to carry on the same mission and ministry that Jesus did. But that Spirit that is born in the church is one that also continually challenges and calls the church beyond its own comfortability, beyond its own held, deeply held assumptions. See, as exciting as it was that 3,000 people were baptized in that first Pentecost, they were all pretty much the same. There are some differences in language and culture, but everyone who was baptized on that first Pentecost was Jewish. And it really makes sense that the church as it begins is a Jewish movement. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were all Jewish. Uh, they talked about Jesus as someone who fulfilled Jewish hopes and expectations. But the question that's going to be always at the forefront throughout the book of Acts and throughout the entire New Testament, really, is, is the church going to have a broader understanding of its mission? Are they going to go beyond their own sort of sameness and into places of difference, places that are beyond their own comfortability? And this is exactly where Philip finds himself this morning. That an angel of the Lord, it says, this is God at work, leads Philip out to a wilderness highway, somewhere between Jerusalem and Gaza, some highway in the middle of nowhere. And the people of God have often found themselves in those wilderness places. And they're there at, at moments of transition. They're there at, at moments where, where God is ready to do a new thing, where the, the people are ready to be changed and transformed. That if we find ourselves in the wilderness, whether as a community or as individuals, there's a strong chance that you are there because God is ready to teach us something new. But Philip might be wondering what in the world he's doing out there on that remote highway in the middle of nowhere. And it soon becomes clear that he's there to meet with a man who's pulled off on the shoulder of the highway. But this is no ordinary man. This is a official from the court of the Ethiopian queen. What Luke describes him as is he's in charge of the entire treasury. So he's the, the secretary of the treasury, right? He's the, the cabinet member in the, the court of the Ethiopian queen. Uh, he's also a man of considerable wealth, considering the fact that he has a chariot. So this is long before the assembly line in Motor City, right? Um, chariots were handmade. It cost a considerable amount, of, considerable amount of money to have one of those. He's also a man who has obviously received education in a time and place where uh, education was a privilege and not widespread. He is able to read as he sits there reading the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So he's a man who has considerable power and status and education in the world. And, and while all of that is 
true, he's also a man of incredible paradox. That even with all of his wealth and his status, he's also a man who experiences very profound marginalizations, especially in that part of the world where he finds himself in this story. So first of all, he is an Ethiopian, so he um, is someone who's not from that nation. So uh, in, that, in the Roman world, Ethiopia was sort of this catch-all phrase for anything south of Egypt. So I grew up in Chicagoland uh, in Illinois, and we had Chicagoland, and then we had downstate, which was every other part of Illinois, uh, even places west of the city. Um, those of you from New York know that too. There's New York City and there's upstate, right? Uh, so Ethiopia is sort of this catch-all phrase. He's a man who's from the very boundaries of the world, from the very edges of the world. He's also in the mind of Philip, a Gentile, an outsider, a non-Jewish person. But then chief among all of his marginalizations is the fact that he is a eunuch. Uh, So somebody who would have been, this was a widespread practice in the ancient world, somebody who would have been castrated before puberty and then served in the royal court. This was a way of ensuring that men were safe around the royal women. Now, I know that eunuchs are not a big concern these days. Um, I'm almost certain that none of you woke up this morning and had that thought that you're going to come to church and talk about eunuchs this morning. Um, But because it was such a widespread group of people in the ancient world, the Bible does address eunuchs. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, which in the words of one of my seminary professors has some of the best theology in the Bible and some of the worst theology in the Bible, That you find in the book of Deuteronomy, this talk about the welcoming of outsiders. You get this talk about caring for the the widow and the orphan among you. But you also get these these really harsh statements about religious violence and exclusion. So it has good theology and really bad theology. One of those pieces of really bad theology is that in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 23, it says, No eunuch is permitted in the assembly. That no eunuch is permitted to worship among the people. So here you have this man who on one hand is someone of considerable power and education and wealth, and then on the other hand, someone who experiences intersecting marginalizations, a a black Ethiopian from the very edges of the world, a, a Gentile outsider, and a eunuch. And I don't think it's stretching the text too far for us to say that this man is a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, certainly, uh, Luke and Philip and all those early disciples would not have had that category. This was written 2,000 years ago, but we are always reading ourselves into the pages of Scripture. And so I don't think it's too far to stretch the text to say that this man is a member of the LGBTQ community, a man who is looking for belonging, a man who has engaged with the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. We don't know if he had other books of the Bible, but he at least has Isaiah, and he wants to connect with the God that's described in those pages. He wants to worship and be a member of the community, so much so that he has taken probably considerable expense to travel from wherever he was in Africa all the way to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship there. And what he would have been met with was exclusion. First of all, for the fact that he's a Gentile, and so in the second temple period, you have what's called the, the court of the Gentiles, so it's kind of this outer ring, and they could not have gone all the way into the temple the way that fully Jewish people could, but also excluded because of this one random verse somewhere in Deuteronomy that says, no eunuch is permitted in the assembly. And so there he sits on his way home from Jerusalem back to, uh, the, back to his, wherever he lived, and he's pulled off on the shoulder, and he's reading through the scroll of the prophet 
Isaiah. And he comes to some words that I think spoke to him in a very personal way. You know, they didn't have chapter and verse in those days. Chapter and verse are not inspired parts of Scripture. We added those later. Um, But he comes to what we know now as Isaiah 53. And it says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. I think in a lot of ways, Ethiopian eunuch would have experienced those words in a very personal way, that that he's someone who knows what it's like to experience humiliation. He had just experienced it. Someone who who knows what it's like to have his justice denied. Someone who, who knows what it's like to have his humanity disregarded. And so this is where Philip finds him. Philip finds him reading this on the shoulder of some remote highway in the wilderness. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, I can't understand unless somebody explains it to me. He says, who's the prophet talking about in this passage? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Because I see myself in this story. I connect with this story in a very personal way. And so what Philip has the opportunity to do here in this story is to talk about who Jesus is. So remember, this is right after Pentecost. The Gospels are decades from being written down. Uh, The Apostle Paul has not yet been converted to the way of Jesus, and so there's no letters to Paul. There There is no New Testament at this point. And so what those earliest Christians could do was that they could go to the pages, especially of the prophets, and see how Jesus was reflected in those stories. And so Philip comes to this story, and he gets to tell the Ethiopian eunuch about who Jesus is. That Jesus is someone who had his justice denied, who experienced humiliation, someone who experienced his humanity disregarded because of the ways that he stood up for those who are considered outsiders, those who are marginalized. The ways that he risked his life for them to include them, to welcome them around the table. And so as they kept reading in this story, I hope that they continued on in the book of Isaiah, and they would have come to what we've marked now as chapter 56. And it says in chapter 56, this is Isaiah speaking for God, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and it shall not be cut off. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those who have already gathered. It's not that Isaiah doesn't know what's in other parts of the tradition. It's not that he's unaware of what's in the book of Deuteronomy. But Isaiah as a prophet, someone who who speaks to us and tries to reveal God to us, is someone who bends the tradition towards love and inclusivity. Someone who understands that the sacred task is how we interpret the scriptures towards love and inclusivity, that this is who God has always been. The God who gathers outcasts. The God who says to the eunuchs, do not let them say that they are just a dry tree because there is a monument better than sons and daughters waiting for them. There is a place for them in the community and in the people of God. 
that this is the work of the Spirit, the Spirit that was with Jesus, bending the tradition towards love and inclusivity all along the way, and it's the Spirit that is present within the church even now, bending the tradition towards love and grace and inclusivity. And so as they go along, they, at some point in this little impromptu Bible study, they've, the chariot started up again. I don't know what Philip's game plan was there. It was a one-way ticket back to wherever he was going. Um, as they go along, they come to a body of water, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, Look, here's some water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? And I read those words not as a question, not him asking for Philip's permission, but as him affirming his own dignity and his own love his own lovability by God, because what the Ethiopian eunuch is not asking Philip to do is to go back and to write a a really good exegetical paper on why people like him should be included. He's not asking for deep theological statements. He's not asking for permission from a church board or from a denomination. The Ethiopian eunuch is affirming his own lovability, his own status as as a loved child of God. And in that passage, I hear him saying, I'm going down to the water to get baptized, Philip. Are you coming with me? Nothing can keep me, nothing can prevent me from being included. So the first baptism recorded in the Bible outside of the Jewish people is of a black Ethiopian man from the very edges of the world, a Gentile outsider, a member of the LGBTQ community. And I think sometimes when we come to stories like this, we kind of think about it in the sense of, Oh, Philip went and converted somebody to the Christian faith. What I see instead is how the Ethiopian eunuch helped the church become more fully what it was called to be, more fully what the Spirit was desiring it to be, a place of welcome and embrace of all people. It was Philip, I think, who was converted along that desert highway, and that it's still us who are converted along the way as we encounter those who help us and encourage us and call us to be more loving and more inclusive. During this Pride Month, as we celebrate our LGBTQ plus siblings, we celebrate all of the ways that you have made us a better version of ourselves, that you have made us as the church more fully into who we are called to be, that you have led us along the way in love and inclusion. We are better versions of ourselves because of you. And I say that from my own personal experience. Um, This may sound a little strange to say, but... uh, As a pastor, I don't get to go to church very often um, because I'm here every Sunday and it's my joy every Sunday to to lead worship. But it means I have to seek out other places in my life to to find what can spiritually fill me because if I went home and listened to my own sermon, that wouldn't be spiritually enriching to me. Um, That'd be the very opposite of that, I think. Um, one of the churches that I, that, I go, that I go to, quote unquote, that I, the sermon I listen to every week is from a, a church in Florida that describes themselves as the largest LGBTQ church in the world. Um, their entire staff is uh, LGBTQ. They're, they're, they understand their, their ministry as to, to minister to that community. And, and, and every week, the pastor preaches the same sermon, more or less, which isn't a, a, an issue. He preaches every week about God's love and about claiming that love for himself and and understanding yourself as lovable and worthy. And and I've reflected on why is it that that message has spoken to me so much as a straight man. It's because I grew up in a tradition that taught me that I was always broken, that I was not lovable, that I was not worthy, that there was always something wrong with me. And so his words are a constant gift to me 
a reminder that I am loved and that I am worthy of love, that each and every one of us is lovable and worthy of love. That there is no asterisk on love. There is no terms and conditions on that statement where we say all are welcome. There's no uh, bait and switch here where we say all are welcome and then we add some little terms and conditions to all of that. All of us are loved. All of us are included. And the Ethiopian eunuch helps us to claim that for ourselves. We are loved. We are worthy. Nobody gets to throw around Bible verses at you and tell you otherwise. You are loved. You are included. And nothing can change that. Thanks be to God. Amen.